This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Going in Circles Live. It's uh, another Tuesday, closer to the Kentucky Derby. We have some uh, some news. The uh, the horses that have been dropping out, and, and, and now we have horses that, that, that had dropped out or going back in, is it, kind of... Uh, interesting this year and in, in that uh there seem to be quite a few horses that normally you would think would be taking that shot aren't um contra tour uh, um, among those um uh, but today's news was that uh Cotto river who was not expected to start um after uh you know setting a, a pretty pretty quick pace in the arkansas derby and and holding on to finish third um he was not really didn't seem like they were going to run. There was a, an article about um, uh, John Ed Anthony's kind of uh, uh, hesitance to to run horses in the Derby since he ha- he just hasn't had very much luck. He's actually had a lot of bad luck in the Kentucky Derby, but um, uh, he, he's back in, and and that was kind of an interesting side note. And uh, he's an important horse in that I, I'm not sure that he can win. Um, I don't know that a mile and a quarter is really his best, uh, you know, going to be best suited for for him. Though you could certainly make the case that virtually all of them is, is are a question mark at that distance. But uh, he's a pace horse, and he there was of course a lot of hand wringing about the ride in the Rebel versus the um, uh, versus the Arkansas Derby, where, where there was a lot more aggression shown, and, and he did run much better. Um, on the lead than he did rating. So he is an interesting X factor in this Derby in that, uh, he certainly would, would seem to be a horse that it's going to be on the lead or, or pressing the lead. Um, you know, the natural inclination is to think that Mr. Cox is using him perhaps as a rabbit for, uh, essential quality. Who's the favorite, but I mean, they are different ownerships completely. And, uh, uh, perhaps with with some of the other horses like Concert Tour not you know going, they reconsidered and um, I mean it's 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 big news in that uh, he really does change the the dynamics of the race and and makes it a little more difficult. Um, and honestly, uh, I'm happy to see. I'd rather talk about him and and this be the news than um, you know the previous big Derby news was. Uh, uh, the changing of of rider for um, uh, Rock Your World, who who went from uh, Umberto Rispoli, who would have been riding his first Derby, to Joel Rosario, who um, had seemingly him between him and his, his agent Ron Anderson had, had seemingly chosen Contra Tour over Hot Rod Charlie, and then Contra Tour didn't go. So, uh, I mean, you knew he was going to ride somebody in the race. He wasn't going to sit it out and. Uh, I mean, it's a tough part of the game, and anyone that's been involved with horses um, has has been spun uh, both ways. Uh, sometimes you, you inherit the the better jockey. Sometimes you don't. And uh, and Rispoli is a, is a good jockey, and uh, I mean, he, he really is. He, his enthusiasm after Rock World's win was was kind of uh, refreshing to see. Um, but I also understand uh, the connections of of rocky world trying to 
um, do what they think gives them the best chance of winning. I, I don't really know. I mean, they're both really good jockeys, and, and the Kentucky Derby um, is, is a difficult race, no matter who you are, no matter how many times you've ridden it, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, it happens, and um, you know, like there's still time left. I mean, <laughs> horses, <laughs> other horses might drop out or, or or come in at the last minute, and uh, you, you never know. So, um, today's show, we have a couple of uh, of. Of track announcers, as it as it works, uh, Gabe Pruitt from uh, Pompano and the Red Mile, and uh, he's got like eighteen other jobs. So uh, he, he's going to join us in just a minute. Uh, we're going to talk to him about um, you know what he's done at Pompano, and, and uh, of course, you know he's not the only person there, but he is by far the uh, the biggest factor in in the just the enormous spike in handle at that track and then we'll talk to him about some of the methods he's used and um you know what what he plans on doing at some of the other tracks uh that he's now responsible for as director of racing for caesar's entertainment um and we'll talk a little bit about uh his announcing and maybe tell the story of the one the one night i was in the booth with him and uh, we had a horse that uh, wouldn't leave the track um following him we have uh my my friend longtime friend uh, Bobby Newman, who was just yesterday announced as the new track announcer at Prairie Meadows in Iowa. Um, we're going to talk to him uh, about that, about some of his other jobs that he's had in racing. He was a longtime caller at Calder. Um, of course, that track uh, no longer exists. But um, And we're going to talk a little bit about the Derby. Uh, him and I are actually doing uh, the HRN show tomorrow afternoon, race day, uh, from 3 to 6. Uh, Mr. Stabile, I, I believe, is a little bit under the weather, but um, you know, we'll talk about that, and uh, uh, you know, we'll get a little derby talk out of him, and, and uh, kind of see what uh, what his feelings are. I know he's going to be working for HRN Derby Week. He'll be up at Churchill Downs, and and uh, we'll get some uh, some reports from him. So, uh, should be a good show, and uh, hopefully, we can um, <laughs> we can get some interesting stories. That's one thing that people always really like uh, like to hear about the stories in the backgrounds and things like that. But um, you know what, what Gabe has done at, at Pompano is really amazing, and I'm, I'm sure he'll have the the stats. But uh, uh, some some of the um, um, some of the numbers are just uh, incredible, and it just goes to show you that. Um, uh, just simply throwing a race card out there and and leaving it as uh you know open um you know without without doing the adjustments needed without the the bending menu being important um uh it just shows that th- there is probably uh uh some handle being left at the table uh, you know on the table by by some tracks across the country and uh, this is not a criticism of anyone it's just saying that uh, this guy's done done it really really well, and uh, I really like uh, you know I, I think he's 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 a guy who's had a lot of experience on both sides of the the aisle. Is uh, you know he was the executive director of the Kentucky Horsemen's Association for a long time too, so he's worked on both sides of the uh, of the line. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't aware that uh, that um, Prairie Meadows season is quite as long as it is. I'm a little concerned about uh, 
about Mr. Newman's ability to uh, to handle the the Des Moines <laughs> summer, <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, you know it's it's not uh, it's it's you know weather wise certainly it's it's probably warm. I mean, he lives in South Florida right now, so it's not like he's going from uh, you know the Arctic there. But uh, it's a it's a new uh, <laughs> a new location, and, and certainly South Florida and uh, Des Moines are are probably a little bit different. But uh, it'll be interesting to, to to talk to Bobby about that, and uh, um, you know some of the um, uh, unique characteristics of of have working at different places. I remember when he just started out, he was doing the fair tracks at Arizona and we were talking, you're talking about, um, the bottom, this is about three steps below the bottom rung. Um, literally grandstands of high school, like a high school football stands and, and, uh, rickety old, um, stands, (laughs) uh, globe always stood out to me uh it was just kind of a crazy thing uh anyways we will be back uh right after this we're we got a commercial break and then we'll be back uh with the guys this is the going in circles podcast why in the past decade has brl equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product because we use only FDA-supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bread racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA unlock. Bleeder Shield and EPO Equine can help you. Contact me, Joseph Volante, 215-501-6880. All right, we're back. Um, Gabe has been delayed. He probably has to do one of his... 42 duties over at uh, the Pomp tonight. They got uh, they're kind of wrapping their meet up. Um, I think only six six more cards left in at the Pomp. Um, you know, there's a, a hugely important court case going on that uh, the nation seems to be um, you know, enthralled with, and I was kind of surprised that the you know the Bob Baffert <laughs> hearing about his positive last year has kind of gone a, a little sideways in that um, it's it's not your usual uh, defense of a 15-day violation. I mean, in most cases, trainers just take the 15 days. Uh, in this case, I believe the, the reasoning is, well, number one, Mr. Baffert has the, the funds to, to, to fight it. And number two, I, I believe the purses of these races were, were pretty significant. So, um, you know, his attorney is trying to, um, he's trying to use the, uh, the procedures of the laboratory. It's a, a technical, basically he's trying to get off on a technicality. Um, and it's, it's kind of, uh, 
Uh, listen, if, if he wins, if he gets the things thrown out, that's a lot of money. We're talking a tremendous amount of money. But um, it's not exactly going to make... Um, Make make them any more popular because it doesn't uh, it doesn't take away the fact that um, uh, you know be, being innocent on technicalities is not quite like being innocent because you didn't do it. Anyways, uh, we have Gabe. Gabe, how are you? Doing well, guys. My pleasure to uh, to be on with you. What, where you you're making sure the electric is good tonight, or the lights, <laughs> or, or the starting gate car. Good. I think it is a prop on, on Bovada Nightly. Power out the pop is probably a dollar ten either way. So, uh, yes, yeah, so hopefully we're good to go because we do have a little weather in the area, as you know, Chuck. Uh, yeah. So hopefully uh, we get the lights on and crank. We can't afford to miss any more nights. We've only got five nights remaining. Five. I, 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 over, I, I said six, but uh, I was off by one. Uh, a lot of times I don't even know what day it is anyways. But, um... Actually, you're right. We have six. You, you, you are crazy. Wow, there no, you go. We, have, we do have five. Excuse me. Tuesday, then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Sunday. Yes, five <laughs> nights. So next Sunday, the, the Sunday following um, the Derby is the last day. That's correct. Okay. All right. We just we just want to make sure that, that we have it, it, it all uh, it all worked out over there. And, and it is odd that uh, – I, I guess, you know, you can look at it from two ways. The fact that the Pomp has a lot of interesting cancellations um, – <laughs> It, it it's it's news because the pomp has got a, a far greater following than than it than it did um, before you got there. And uh, I guess you know just for the listeners, kind of describe uh, when did you get to Pompano? And and, and um, I mean honestly, let's go back to the beginning. How, how did you get involved in horse racing? Well, Chuck, I I grew up uh, going to the racetrack. I loved it. I was always uh, inclined for for math and gambling and. Uh, all that good stuff, as we all love to discuss. And I grew up going to Keeneland uh, as a kid. I, I grew up about 30 minutes outside of Lexington, so I would go to Keeneland routinely, you know, both spring and fall every year. I'd never seen a harness race in my life. I, I went to college at the University of Kentucky. I moved in my, my freshman and sophomore year. I lived in an apartment right across the street from the stable gate at the Red Mile. I did not know what they even did at the Red Mile. I knew they hosted events from time to time. I had no idea what the racetrack uh, And you know, obviously being a racetrack and being within uh, 500 feet of it, eventually uh, I was magnetized over there. I had a buddy stop by and said, you know, if, if you'd like to go bet the horses. And I, I said, they race there. He said, yeah, they had the carts behind them, but it's, uh, you can still gamble. So I said, well, absolutely. That sounds great. So we uh, we went over. We were introduced to the sport of harness racing, and uh, I, I almost never left. I picked up a college job at the Red Mile as a teller. Started, uh, that would have been my first job in the business. Uh, you know, had kept that all the way through college and, eventually uh, just started doing some other things here and there and, and and here we are all these years later you know it's crazy I, I worked as a teller when i was in college too except it was a little a little smaller venue called called Relito racetrack in, in tucson um it was so small and, and i mean still is small but um they didn't run for for listed purses they ran for points and had the purse was dependent on the handle that day. So if there was a good handle, you got more money. And if it wasn't a good handle, you didn't get more money. So, um, uh, I like it. The old school, that's how we keep scores betting. Handle. I, I mean, school down here at the bomb. I like the uh, mentality that, that's still to this day, by the way, I believe one of Pete Aiello's favorite wagering parks. Uh, you know, Pete Aiello is like a whale at, um, and I don't mean that in a, you know, in a, in a bad sense, but as a betting sense, he's like a whale at Relito because, uh, you know, I, I've seen him many nights or many, excuse me, afternoons in the booth at Gulfstream between races. And 
he's firing out on some pick three on a mixed quarter horse thoroughbred race. I mean, thousand dollar claimers. Bad, I've had to listen to more bad beat stories at Valido Park than uh, than probably most because it's anger I'm beating and listening to those stories. But yes, he fires away uh, down there to, to this day. Oh man, I, I tell you, we, we had a lot of fun. That is the truth. Is is that, you know when you're at tracks like that, like nobody's getting rich, right? There's there is no like haves and have nots. Everybody's a have not, and. Uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. We, we <laughs> it was a lot of stories, and this was a long time ago, so I don't remember all the particulars. But a lot of guys, you know, betting out of their box, and at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, I'm very familiar with that as well. <laughs> having to go into their pocket and they, where they literally pay to work. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I've been there, so I, I totally understand that sentiment. Oh man, um, so you also, uh, you know, you you haven't always worked on the 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 manage racing management ledger you side of the ledger you you've worked uh, for the horsemen as well and and you own and and, and breed horse uh, standard breads right do that as well yes had a couple thoroughbreds over the years but mainly standard breads still have a few brood mares that we breed uh, at least a couple every year get a couple of yearlings and sometimes sell sometimes race uh, I've got one one three year old coming back uh, a little bit off of the injury he he won a uh, a nice stake there last summer at Sao was uh, unfortunately. Uh, hurt, so we we rehabbed him. He's coming back, hopefully, uh, uh, for a good sophomore season. Uh, I worked in the Horseman's Association side of things for ten years. Actually, I was the, was the director of the Kentucky Harness Horseman's Association. So yes, I'm very uh, respective of, of the horseman side of the business as well. I would say that the the numbers and the handle. I'm not so sure. I would say all of the management <laughs> management issues have been my uh, forte, but certainly the business side of it have always been what I've been most interested in. But I'm respective. Uh, Obviously, of all sides, as someone I've raced young horses and claimers, and um, you know, one of my first wins at the Red Mile, I believe, as an owner, was with a, a three thousand dollar claimer that I owned with about fourteen people, <laughs> if I remember correctly. So, I've raced on the on the lowest ends and and, and some decent races as well. Yeah, it, it's it's so, so funny because I, I've been fortunate enough to race. Uh, on Kentucky Derby Day on the undercard and actually, you know, win stake races on that day. And it, there's really, in this country, there's nothing like Derby Day. It just is, is, is you know, so unique in its, uh, uh, I mean, this gigantic crowd and, and, and the, just the energy at the place. It's just um, just kind of nuts. But, um, you know, I've, of course, Saratoga, you know, virtually every big track in this country. And, and I was also fortunate enough to, to have raced a horse in Hong Kong at, uh, at Sha Tin and, and the races over there, the international races. And then, you know, you, you think about, like, the times when you're at Relito, or I remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad driving to Vernon Downs, you know, and, oh, yeah. and uh, you know, you've been at these tracks, uh, 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 Scarborough, which uh, unfortunately just recently, uh, you know, called it quits, but... Uh, you know, there's such a wide variety, and that's one of the great things about horse racing. You know, regardless of the breed, is that there's this huge. Um, I'm telling you, I'll tell you a quick story. I was at Newmarket in England buying horses. This has got to be like 2007, maybe 2008. Uh, I was buying horses with Mrs. Thayer, who owns Tampa Bay Downs. She was one of my clients, and. I was I, I I found out that there was racing in, in all these countries that I had no idea there was racing, like um, Crete and uh, Kuwait and Czechoslovakia or whatever it's called now. And uh, I mean, th- there's like all these people that are, that are from all these you know different places that like we never even hear of 
um, you know, we have no idea they even have racing. Of course, you know, it varies from, you know, low level to, to you know, medium low level. But um, it, it was crazy that uh, uh, Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets, <laughs> who's a large man, uh, was, there was pictures of him um, sometime not in that distant past uh, of him jogging a horse over in, um, um, I think he's... Um, I don't want to say he's he's either Serbian or, or, or from Croatia or, or one of those you know Baltic countries. And I mean, I had no idea that they had harness racing over there. Yeah, I recall seeing that photo. Actually, I don't even want to take a guess where it was, but uh, it is incredible because you don't think about those things. And uh, as you said, if you're in the business, you know, racing on those type of stages, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. That's what we all live for. Uh, as much as guys like you and I'm, me can be just as happy on a, on a Tuesday night at the bomb, but uh, of course, the business just feeds off those major days. No, absolutely. And uh, let's talk about the business uh, from the standpoint of of what you've done uh, at Pompano in particular with the handle uh, is to me. I mean, I, I've praised you so many times. People think I'm your agent. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is I see a big disconnect in a lot of places um, with management and gamblers, more, even more than horsemen, because horsemen have a represent, have representation. It's not always that great, but horsemen have representation. They can go to management and they can say, okay, listen, uh, we don't, you know, this is not, this is not to our liking. This is, you know, we need changes here. We, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Management can, can take what they say, uh, you know, fix it, no fix it, come up with a plan. But the betting side, and that's a huge unrepresented group um, outside of a couple guys who might be really, you know, huge betters that, that would have some access to management. Um, you know, you, you seem to have, have, uh, found a niche where, where you're kind of giving the people what they want. And it seems like it's, it's, I mean, uh, the handle numbers alone this year, um, at the pump are, are just, you know, shows that what you're doing is working. Well, we hope so, to a degree. And you know gamblers are, are a fickle bunch. We all are that uh, gamble, uh, myself included. But, you know, hopefully that's the case. We came into this place, uh, my first year here was was the end of 2013, fall of 2013. So I think this is my eighth season overall. Uh, I think the first night I was on the property, I believe the, the wagering totaled the, uh, around $50,000. Uh, that's not per race. That's per, that was for the entire night. That first season, I know. Uh, we raced uh, 140 days. I believe our average hand over the 140 days was 161,000. So we were obviously starting from a point um, that you would call dead, <laughs> essentially. Uh, you know, so we, we looked in the mirror and tried to say, hey, look, you know, we're racing at a time of year, you know, where we ought to be able to make a little bit of an impact, uh, you know, over the course of the winter without the major stakes uh, going on. Yes, our resources are very limited. Um, uh, we, we have always been on what you want to call uh, – short-term life uh you know as you know chuck every year has been the last year pompano for at least the last 15 some point that's ultimately going to be the case but but it does create a little bit of a conundrum that you know we aren't going to get a lot of investment on the infrastructure side of racing when when it's uh on a lifespan that is going to be quickly coming to an end so you know people talk about high definition that's great and uh, we're not even on standard definition we're on analog for god's sake we have <laughs> Two starting gates that I uh, believe have a combined million miles, and then 
Uh, track lighting uh, leaves a lot to be desired. We, we kicked off opening night this year with a, a fire in the electrical room. So that's just how we do business at the farm, which was the surprise of no one, uh, unfortunately. But, but you know, the thing that we did, we were able to bring to the table when we did get in and take a look at our schedule and our betting menu and listen to what, what few customers we had left uh, at that point was, you know, we did have a passion to improve it. I know that when uh, we first got here, there was a little bit of an of an aura over the place of if it's, you know, we're, we're going to die and, you know, let's just get the races in and let's get home by 10 o'clock and, and call it a night. Uh, luckily, you know, a couple of staffing changes, uh, you know, over the course of time, uh, you know, we got hooked up with a team that, that really, you know, our passion was racing. And, I mean, there are a lot of other places that, uh, have a lot more to offer than we do when it term comes to field sizes. I mean, graphics, HD, lighting, starting gate, you name it. They have a lot more to offer than we could ever have to offer. But but I don't know that they have the passion that we have uh, to succeed. And I think that's something you can't really fake. You know, we, we have a group text every night we race. And I text out to, to our entire staff, from the guy who cleans the paddock to sales programs, to everybody else on the property, you know, what, what the total handle was you know, versus what we did the, the year prior, or at this point, two years prior, because we were shut down last year for COVID. But, you know, we did our 20th million of the season last night, this season. We had done six millions, I think, in the entire property uh, the, the prior 57 years. So it's been a huge season, a record-breaking season. Uh, everyone seems to think, you know, our product has improved vastly. You know, we've cut down on some of the days of the week. Instead of having to stretch our horses over five days, you know, at this point in time, we're stretching them over three days, which has really helped maintain the competitiveness uh, of the cards. But, you know, when we text that out, you know, the entire team, top to bottom, I mean, everyone is so proud to come to work. And you think about that, Chuck, you know, we've got a staff down here. You know, myself, I'm, I'm perfectly mobile. Uh, you know, I'll pop somewhere. I'll go back and punch tickets to the Red Mile if they'll have me. But, uh, but, but, you know, we've got a lot of people that, that uh, you know, are Florida natives that, that they've heard year after year after year, this place is closing, this place is dying, this place is dead. You know, they really take pride in what we've done down here. And, uh, and, and it's, and, you know, they don't have to because, you know, when you're in that type of environment, uh, as you know, uh, where, where you're really your livelihood is being challenged, and horsemen for that matter, too. We have a lot of locally-based horsemen that have heard the same thing. So I think everybody takes pride that we've, that we've tried uh, everything we know how to possibly try, given the constraints that we have to work under down here, to try and move the needle. And at the end of the day, the gamblers speak for themselves. So they have supported us. Uh, you know, we've seen record pulls in pretty much every bet we've offered. As you know, it's uh, it's been incredible, especially from where we first started. You know, I remember uh, supremely we would miss $2,000 guarantees. I remember the first pick six carryover we ever had was like $101. I was almost embarrassed with the graphic on the monitor. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we've come from a place that uh, we were really struggling, but, you know, day by day and, and gambler by gambler, it, it, it's we've seemed to have grown things. It's like every every – disaster we have every power outage every every starting gate uh malfunction it seems like we've, we've gathered three or four more fans every time it's happened so, so despite all of our faults you know we've been able to grow this thing and you know i can say with almost assurance that you know had we not went on the run that we went on you know very likely uh you know sunday may the second we, we would be you know bidding this track goodbye so i think that uh, at least for now we're, we're back next year Everyone, everyone is is excited about that. Uh, we get to come back and do it all over again. It, it, it's just been a great run. I can remember not to get completely off track, but just to show you how bad things were. Uh, 
five, six years ago, and I'll feel comfortable saying this at this point, but five, six years ago under under completely different ownership group and management and whatever else, uh, I, we were sitting in the office downstairs one night, and we just started to take off a little bit. You know, we'd gotten things from kind of where we were when we first got in. You know, you know, we'd be, you know, we could we could flirt with a, with a million on, on some of our signature nights, and, and things had really started to take off, you know, maybe that few years in. And I remember um, – you know, as, as high of management member as you can get, walking in the uh, from from the corporate side of things, walking in the uh, office there one night to, to myself and, and a colleague, and who was a very first class uh, individual to work for, and he liked both of us in the racing side. And he said, "Hey guys, I just want to let you know it's it's racing here is going to be done. You know, this is going to get get approved and, and sealed this season. So, you know, I know you guys, your passion is racing." I just wanted to give you the heads up. So, so this was, I'm going to say January of the year, we, we would stop racing in May. Just want to give you guys a heads up so you can, you know, be out there looking and, and, and trying to find your next stop. So, you know, that was, that was a little, you know, uh, it was a little bit of a punch in the stomach, you know, to hear that, even though we know it's coming. It is coming. You know, Pompadour's not going to be around forever. Uh, but at that point in time, it was a little bit of a punch in the gut. You know, he had a family and a wife and kids, so he carried that message back. You know, she sort of demanded <laughs> that that day that that the advice was heeded. You know, myself, uh, I, I he asked me what I was going to do. I said, "Look, we're we're on a ship, and, and the orchestra's playing. I, I'm just going to pull up a chair and listen to the music and, and enjoy it. I, I'm not going to. I'll be here the, when the place goes down uh, if everything goes right. Because I, I just feel like as much as we put into the place over the years, I just wouldn't ever feel right not to not to see it through the end. Yeah, yeah, that, I know that's tough. That you know, when you're, when you're thinking, um, you know, the cliff is coming and you're going to go over the cliff and, and it doesn't come. Um, but like you said, at some point it, it probably will end, but I, I don't think that the lessons learned from, um, basically, you know, like you said, the, the rise of the Phoenix with regard to your signal and your handle and, and, uh, um, you know, just the way, the, the the stats are are just mind blowing. Like you said, you, you know, you guys came in and you're doing fifty thousand a night, which is, I mean, that that's that's nothing. I mean, you guys are doing a a hundred thousand a race now uh, on on some of these nights, and it's it's not as though, I mean, no offense, but it's not as though, um, you know, these are all star cards with all star uh, you know participants, and it's it, it's um you know you don't have much. You guys don't really have any kind of stake schedule or any kind of. Uh, you know, big names to, to really, you know, um, promote, uh, obviously Dave Miller coming this, this winter was, uh, uh, was of course, you know, he's a huge name and, and, uh, you know, Wally of course, but, um, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, good, solid competitive racing. And, and, uh, you know, the fact is that you've gotten eyes on it, especially with, uh, you know, your, your, your trademark send it in army. Uh, talk a little bit about, about how that came about the, the whole send it in concept. Well, you know, Chuck, you, in my, when I first started going to the races, as I mentioned, when I was in college, kind of on a nightly basis, uh, when I first started going to simulcast and whatnot, I would go up and, and I sort of learned the game from having someone that didn't know the difference between a trotter and a pacer. When I walked in the building and over the course of time, you know, I would sit with, with different gamblers and, and guys that have been around for years and years. And, and you sort of got that the camaraderie you know, with other gamblers, and, you know, you'd pick up on things, learn things, discuss things. You know, there was a large simulcasting audience uh, at that at that given time. You know, at th- this day and age, as you know, you walk into any simulcast facility, I mean, the numbers just continue to dwindle as more people are, 
or online wagering. So you really go into a track if you're a newcomer, even if you wanted to get involved in horse racing, there's really no one to show you the ropes, and you know as well as I do. You know, it's a very intimidating sport, whether it be thoroughbreds or harness racing. When you walk in and you're a little bit of an un, uneducated customer and don't know um, much of anything. So I think in this day and age, social media uh, has, has in some degree replaced that in-person camaraderie. I mean, you, you know, when we race at night, we have you know a large group of guys uh, that, that'll tweet about the races and uh, you know, celebrate good scores, complain about bad beats, and 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 what have you. So it so it really brings back a little bit, uh, you know, that discussion and chit chat. And we don't all have to be at the same place. Obviously, most most guys are spread out all over the place. In fact, so as far as the Senate and Army goes, I'd like to tell you that was by some huge plan that uh, <laughs> that we that we put out there and, and thought it would just take off. But I think we we had a carryover one night, and I, I'm sure I came up with other little things before even that, but. Uh, I was up in the announcer's booth one night, you know, and, and gave the, the, the red the red siren 20-minute warning, hey, you know, carry over Pompano. And at that point in time, I'm sure it was just a couple thousand dollars or whatever. And I just used the hashtag out of the clear blue sky to send it in. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other guys picked up on it. I'm in, sent it in, you know, and, and kind of used it a little bit as well. Uh, you know, fast forward a week later, same thing, did it. And it sort of just started to get, you know, it, it seemed to take off a little bit. And, and we... Uh, at that point, that was probably me and, and one friend that used it <laughs> when it started. But, uh, you know, it, it did ultimately, uh, it was sort of our, our calling card. You know, that was, that was if, you were, if you were firing away a Pompano, you, you were sending it in. So, you know, over the course of time, it just grew and grew a little bit. Uh, we've always had some fun with it. And, and, you know, you like to have people out there, I think, again, when you go back to the passion and the pride and, you like to have people out there think they're, you know, think they're a part of something, and, and the Senate and Army is certainly relevant out there these days on, on social media when it comes to wagering. And you know, I think it's just it's, it's helped everybody, and, and not only uh, I should say does the staff down here and the horsemen take pride in, in the run we've been on, but but so does the Senate and Army. You know, you see it out there in social media, and, you know, and everybody I think is, is proud because this is really if you, if you look all over the horse racing landscape, you know, there, there's. I can't think of a, of a track that has had as much going against it uh, just overall when you talk about everything, just in terms of logistics of, of, of like you said, the quality of maybe what we're racing at times, the, uh, the uh, purse structure, the, the future, the, uh, you know, we're on an isolated island down here. There are the closest track to us, I believe, is 1,500 miles away, so we can't, not like we can call up somewhere and say, hey, you got a horse for this class. It's we have what we have. And, and there's really not been a place to lift it up, literally lift it up uh, by, by the gamblers. I know it's not on as big of a scale as maybe some of the uh, thoroughbred tracks or whatnot, but there's not been a place just, just risen from the ashes, I don't think solely by, by the, the gamblers, as you could say Pompano has been. It, it really has. Uh, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to have watched you um, because you control the – all the aspects of betting at Pompano, you, you, you create the menus, you've uh, uh, put together the, the, the structure of, of when you're going to have pick fours or pick fives or, or, uh, you know, what races you're going to have the super, uh, the super high five or whatever we call it now. Um, and I've also seen you, uh, you know, dictate post times to try to get off of other, other popular signals. So, you, you know, you don't go off at the same time, which, which has to be a, a factor as well. It really is. You know, it really is because you can't leave any stone unturned. That's the thing, whether it's betting menu, whether it's when you're racing, 
Wood Knot of the Week you're racing. Uh, I'm in constant battles, as you know. You've been up at the booth with me. I've got my TV set up. I'm hanging the post times. Uh, and it's, I call it, I tell a very, a very modern setup, by the way. I mean, this is like, uh, <laughs> my, my 1970s Magnum. Just, just as you would picture it at the top, believe me, nothing is better than it seems. In fact, it might shock you. It, it could be even a little worse. Hey, the only, the only thing better is, is the, the trip up there, which is, a guardian to get through our, our maze of haunted house. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. It's tough, but it's a nightly poker game. I'm in communications from time to time with the other tracks. Uh, you know, at one point in time, Chuck, we really had to battle for our respect. We had, we had to battle. People would still slam on top of us, and I'm talking about other maybe mm-hmm. bigger signals. Sure. Uh, we've sort of muscled our way into some respect uh, at this day and age for the most part. Uh, you know, I will say I'll obviously respect other tracks, and, and they'll return that respect. There was there was a time and place where uh, the people hanging post times at other tracks, Pompado was not really on their radar. Sure. One of the kindest compliments I got, you know, a couple of years ago was, was when one of the guys, one of the major tracks said, I used to not even have you guys on. You know? <laughs> and now I do everything I can to stay away from you. So yeah. that feeds off itself a little bit when you get that type of respect. Absolutely. Uh, but it's been, uh, it, it, you really have to, it, you can leave no stones unturned. I mean, you know, even our good friends over at TBG, you know, we were lucky enough to strike a deal to get back on with them. That was something right. that they hadn't done in a long time. And Sunday you know, nights, right? I mean, Sunday nights, you, you know, you, you made the decision to move big, off of yeah. Saturday to Sunday and, and make Sunday your big night, and, that, and that's really that's paid what off. We did. Yes, that's, that's what we did. Now, this year we've gone a little bit more towards Monday because Monday has been, uh, a little, especially with our Canadian friends, unfortunately, down right now, Monday has been a little more open. So we've had our, our Mega Monday cards, as we did last night, uh, and we put some of our top-level classes there. So we're always, we're always shifting. We're never, any, nothing is ever set in stone here. I'm constantly looking at simulcast, or I'm constantly looking at what nights would be the best. You know what nights we want to put the most races. You know that's clearly by design. But we have we had eight races on Sunday because unfortunately right now Sunday's a little bit of a lesser night. But we have but we fired back with thirteen last night, uh, and because that's because we can make a huge impact on that type of night. Like say our friends at TVG, they have obviously they're making a push for HD only signals. Uh, it would not shock you that that the pomp does not fall into that category. <laughs> no, um, you can't rent those I, things. I've been, I've been begging. <laughs> begging for lack of a better word to uh for them for them to hang in there with us you know it's just such a tough set of circumstances to work under when you know you're you're on a limited timetable and again we just don't have that infrastructure that so many tracks uh, have so I've, I've just we've tried to do the absolute best we can do you know given the circumstances but a lot of these things are free like you say passion and what you put into it the betting menu when you're going off that doesn't cost you a thing to really pay precise attention to all that social media uh, driving up, trying to drive up some interest and whatnot, uh, that doesn't cost you a thing uh, to do all that stuff. That's that's literally just just wanting to be able to do it. So, you know, when people say, uh, you know, we can't we can't really do it, we can't afford to do this, we can't afford to do that, you know, that fortunately, this staff has never really bought into that. We we feel that we can do a lot uh, w- without uh, maybe some of the bells and whistles that other places have, and and you know, we hold our heads high that uh, we we've came in every night trying to trying to. You know, do as absolutely as good as we can possibly do, and we're we're very fortunate that we've been supported by by the guys out there gambling. You know, it's such a different world. I, I was sitting there last night watching some of the Borgata races from Yonkers, and I was thinking to myself, when I worked there, like Mondays was like Mondays was our 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 never win two, you know, five claimer day, and Saturday, of course, was always the big day. And and like that, you know, like other signals that they've moved off of Saturday. I guess they just don't want to tackle the Meadowlands. Um, but it's you know it's a, it's a different world. Um, it, 
it's a different world when you're depending on less on track. You know, in those the yeah. days when you, when you were depending on your on track dollars true, and, and true, large true. crowds on track, it's just a different way out there in the broadcast world. And I'm, I've I've always been one to try and find a niche that works for us as opposed to going with just what uh, the usual b- blueprints. So hats off to them. I think one thing that certainly helped uh, Yonkers and in turn it's helped us as well. But they're obviously sister tracks with with Northfield. They're both owned by MGM. So Northfield moved off of Mondays to sort of give Yonkers uh, the spotlight. Uh, in turn, what has happened there, Canada has, has unfortunately shut down. So you yeah. lost Woodbine, you lost Western Fair there as well. So what has turned into maybe the worst night, that used to be, always be one of my worst nights because it was so crowded, and I would just limit it to eight races and move on uh, Mondays, it's now turned into the, uh, the powerhouse night, at least for now. But, again, these things are always evolving. Uh, you know, so I'm constantly looking at schedules, constantly looking at how we could get an edge. Uh, because at the end of the day, the guys out there betting the races, they really don't care what day we race on or, or anything else. They just want to bet in the pools the most money, the pools the most value. That's what we try to give them, whether it's a menu with carryovers and whatnot uh, or a, a night that we can do the very best business. You know, we're, we're, trying to give, we're trying to get the most mileage we absolutely can out of a product. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever see yourself as a track announcer? Like, how did that come about? <laughs> no, that, that, I did not see myself as a track announcer. That, that came by on... Uh, everything I do is pretty much on sheer accident. You'll probably get that theme, but I was, <laughs> I was punching tickets at the Red Mile. Uh, Kevin Mack at the time was the race secretary, the race announcer, the general manager. <laughs> he had every title you could possibly have in Lexington. At that time, the Meadows was closed for construction when they were adding the casino on. So we had a slew of Western Pennsylvania horsemen in Lexington. We would literally have like 17, 18 races a night. Kevin would not get done with the draws until pouring over into the race card starting. So, uh, you know, we were pretty good friends, and he would come down and talk to me uh, from time to time, and, and he said, hey, Gabe, how about have you ever thought about announcing? Well, I was always enamored by the announcer. I thought it was great, you know. Grew up listening to, you know, Sam McKee and, and um, many other great announcers out there, too many to count. Uh, so I said, well, I, you know, I, I don't mind to try it. And, and I literally, the first night I, I announced a race, it was not a qualifier, not a practice or anything. I, I was asked if I could go call the first couple races out of a sheer emergency situation <laughs> with him finishing up at the draw. I believe there were like five and six horse fields. And uh, it is safe to say it was absolutely horrific. <laughs> it would be almost impossible to mess up those sort of fields. But uh-huh. uh, just I had no experience at all. And, 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 and I think that anyone that has tried it will say it is a little more difficult than it looks. Obviously, it's not too difficult if guys like myself can pull it off. But especially at first asking. It's a little, it's a little tricky, and um, you know, I, I finally got to the point uh, where where I did try and ply my craft a little bit, where I could at least be serviceable and not uh, have everyone hit the mute button when I came on. But yeah, that that was my first experience. Was I was pulled from the tether line to the roof uh, at the Red Mile. Wow, that that is you know, talk about getting thrown right into the fire. No practice, no nothing. Just <laughs> here's the have at it. Here, here's the batting helmet and the bat, kid. Go ahead, <laughs> take your swings. Um, so your new duties include, uh, other racetracks, uh, in, under the Caesars umbrella. So you're talking, uh, Hoosier, Scioto, and, um, uh, Harris Philly. Is there any, is there, am I missing something? Louisiana Downs, uh, as well falls into that and, uh, Scioto Downs. So, oh yeah, Scioto. You know, it was interesting last year, Scioto was, was the first harness track to come back and, and I wound up, I, I, uh, you know, 
full disclosure, I, I don't think I'd ever bet a race from, from Scioto before. <laughs> so I, I know I'd watched some races there, but I don't think that I'd ever actually bet on the races. And, and you know, obviously the free programs. And, that, and that's another thing that uh, I, I think should is underestimated, um, especially yes. with people not, like you said, going to the track where you're actually selling the things, the physical uh, paper uh, product. Uh, the free programs, I think, certainly help because um, I, I know, you know, I, I I don't know that I would have paid even you know a couple dollars to get a program just to look at it, but when it's free, I, I will always take a look at it and and uh, I I, I, I up betting some races. That. Yeah, yes, I, I, I think, do too. One hundred percent right. I I do too. We uh, there was a quick quick sidebar. Tom Amos and I were standing at the the rail one day at Churchill Downs. This is about fifteen years ago, and Steve Sexton, uh, the late Steve Sexton was the president of, of Churchill and Steve was a pretty approachable guy and he came down one day and and they had cut the the racetrack at Churchill Downs used to and I'm sure they still do they used to produce the the um the on track programs themselves right there um so I, I mean I'm sure it was it was a very small number you know how much it cost it, it was probably tiny and they used to give the HVPA or the horsemen like 40 programs or 50 programs a day and uh, we came back from some sort of break, and we got back there in the fall, and and they they had cut them way back, and 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 we said, Steve, what, you know, what, what's the deal with the programs? And he said, Ah, you know, they're not getting in the right hands; they're getting in the hands of the grooms and stuff like that. And I said to him, I said, Steve, if you give a guy a program, he's gonna bet. <laughs> you know, these guys are lifers; exactly. they've been on the track the whole life. If you give him a free program, he's gonna find something he likes, and he's gonna go bet his money. Like, wouldn't you rather have the guys putting the money into that? Than going over to the liquor store and buying, you know, buying a bottle of uh, bourbon or something like, you know, like it's it just. Uh, and he said, you know, what? I, I, honestly, I never even thought about that. Like, I never even. And you know, you, know. you fast forward to today, Chuck. Guys like you and I, we don't need to be pushed too far off the ledge to to make a wager. We'll say, so, you, so no. let's just say you're you're sitting at home on a Monday night. Uh, you've settled down for the night, uh, and you log on Twitter, and and all of a sudden you see two or three people that you follow discussing the races, maybe here at Pompano, right? So it's something you really didn't even intend to do. You see them discussing the races. You throw it over on TVG. You know, now we've got people trained to know we have free programs on our website. So it's just as simple as throwing it over on TVG. They pull up the free program. They've not invested a dollar. And as, as you know, and as I know, as soon as we look there, uh, you know, for, for a good uh, 90 seconds, so we're going to develop uh, that, that strong opinion that we have on, mm-hmm. on whatever may be the case. And the next thing uh, you know, we're involved. So, yeah, I think I think this day and age, every other Sport, every other wagering option. Uh, we've got online casinos, everything. People are making it as easy as possible to do everything. So why wouldn't we do the same thing on the on the racing side? Why wouldn't we offer free programs you can download right there on your phone? You know, why don't we have more access to free video? Uh, it's just we, we still have a lot of hurdles uh, that, that we're giving our customers that, that just don't make any sense, quite frankly, when you're, when you're living in today's environment. Well, you know, I, no, no, we're an, we're an inpatient society. We want things done as easy as possible. So, yeah, I think that's a big thing. It's, it's, it is a little bit of a costly thing. Here's the problem you run into. This, you know, people scratch their heads. They say, why, why does everyone not do this? Well, here, here would be my answer to that, just, just to understand things maybe from a more management side. You take Pompano Park. Uh, as everyone, unfortunately, is probably aware of, 95 7% of our money is wagered off track. So when those numbers are bet off track, you know, we make just a very small margin off those dollars. Uh, and, and what we do make, you know, we, we put on the entire show, obviously all the infrastructure, all the uh, costs. So even though that we're making a fraction of those dollars bet on the ADWs and off-site, 
Uh, you know, when we do those program deals uh, and invest in things like that, we have to incur all the expense. Now, I'm not saying Phil Sorry Force or anything else, but it's just it's just the sheer numbers side of the business that when you're making a very very small uh, margin uh, to incur every dollar expense, you know, and in investing in something like that, it, it's not an easy sell all the time to management. As much as we'd all like it, now, fortunately here at Pompano, I've I've had uh, you know our team step up behind us, and and they've really been gung ho. Uh, Fortunately, at least at this point, till I screw something up, which could happen tonight, that they've they've had a lot of trust. You know, when I bring an idea like that to the table, so. Uh, but that that's why you see some tracks a little hesitant. No, no. Another thing that a lot of states are starting to do, you know, they're getting the Horsemen's Association involved in that. That uh, you know, the, you know, because as we know, Chuck, you know, this sport, if we don't promote ourselves, whether it be a Horsemen's Association, if you've got the finances to do so. You know, we're not going to be able to grow the sport. I've always been a huge proponent, even when I was on the Horsemen's Association side. You know, let's let's invest in trying to grow this product, you know, ourselves. If we sit back and shrug our shoulders and point to the racetracks all, all the time, you know, we're probably going to be waiting a, a long time for them to really uh, put the effort we would like to see in, into marketing or, or whether it be free programs or what have you. So so a lot of states, uh, I know the Horsemen's Association, Pennsylvania being one of those, we're now offering free programs here in Philly. Uh, that was uh, in conglomeration with the Horsemen's Association, hoping to do the same thing at Scioto. Uh, but I think that's that's a big key component. I think you're 100% right. Well, the dominoes have, have fallen, and, and you know now the Meadowlands started doing it. Um, and of course, the, you know they're the they're the big handle <clears throat> driver for for harness racing by far. And and uh, you know so many other tracks have started to do that now. And you guys were, were one of the first. I know Mohawk and, and the Canadian tracks have given. The program's away for for a while now, but I completely agree with your your premise of, that the horsemen have to contribute as well because the fact of the matter, and, and and you know some people will disagree, but in the end, it's the horsemen's game, and that without them, there won't be now without the betters, of course, but the betters, um, they're not like I, like we talked about before, they're not situated in a group to like be spoken for. They don't have a seat at the table, which is which you know, frankly sucks because, uh, they should, but we, we've never got to that point. But if you stop breeding horses, if you stop owning horses, if you stop racing horses, uh, management will find something else to do with that property. Um, racetracks aren't dependent on racing anymore in, in, in most cases. And it's really incumbent upon us as horsemen to try to grow the game. And, and part of that is investing in things like programs like free programs and, um, you know, uh, takeout reductions, things like that. Because, uh, you know, you go to the racetrack and, and they have a casino. Um, they're, you know, they're, naturally they're, I, I tell people, I said, listen, if you had 20 horses in training and 10 were stake horses and 10 were five claimers, which 10 would you pay more attention to? So, Correct. you know, that's how their tracks look at it. And, and we've got to get over uh, like the hurt feelings, <laughs> you know, like it's a business and uh, does it piss me off sometimes when um, I see people call like slot revenue taxpayer money because it's gambling seems to be the only business where, um, uh, you know, you can strike a business deal with your partners at the tracks and, you know, down the road all of a sudden you're you're stealing from taxpayers like you there's no other business like that where it's just assumed that, that money should go to the state and and uh, I mean I'm probably 
I'm probably going off on tangents. And, and, but. No, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, and then we're seeing that, you know, in some states where, where that thought process is being played out. But, uh, you know, the, there's a reason why these, these deals were struck, you know, many years ago. And uh, obviously the agricultural footprint and whatnot that this business provides as well. So it's, um, I think sometimes they fail to realize the overall picture, but I'm in agreement with you uh, 100%. I, and listen, I don't want to act like I'm saying that we've done – uh, the the exact uh, optimum use of of the money. Uh, I, I was talking with a trainer in Pennsylvania the other day, and I said, you know, no offense, but you guys got like a billion and a half dollars, and if if I gave you a billion and a half dollars, and and this was the the industry that we had come up with, I mean, would you would have said, well, you know, man, we didn't do a very good job, and and that's you know, I mean, also understanding that it's 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 not easy, especially. Uh, you know, some people say, "Well, why don't you just take some of that money and do this?" Well, uh, and there's laws, and and legislatively, a lot of times it says what the money is doled out for, and you have to use it for what it it says in the law. And and you know, it's tricky to try to get any laws. It's tricky to get laws passed. It's really tricky to get laws changed. And uh, like I said, I, I wish we could find a, a better way of optimizing the use of. Uh, you know, alternate sources of revenue. But um, the fact of the matter is the game, you know, the landscape has changed so much. And, uh, we, you know, we talk about horsemen's groups on this show quite a bit. And and one of the themes has been uh, that horsemen's groups simply aren't uh, designed to handle the, the requirements that they should have these days because the business has changed so much in the last Oh, hell, I was, I'd say seven or eight years, but then, you know, the business has changed so much more in the last 18 months that a lot of times we're sending horsemen to negotiate contracts that they're just not, I mean, we, we need, you know, uh, at the Florida HVPA is lucky enough to have, uh, as its president, a, a, a guy who's a, that's what he does for a living. He's a contractual lawyer and, and he's handled a lot of those, um, those details with, with Gulfstream. Um, to, you know, to our benefit, but not every organization has that. And, uh, you know, these, these organizations, they were designed when hand 90% of the handle was on track. And when our big issues were all horsemen's issues, still not the issues of, uh, the perplexing, uh, <laughs> trying to figure out the perplexing schedule of where every penny goes on a dollar bet when you have source fees and host fees and, uh, you know the state in some places you know grabs their their fee and it, it's just uh you know it, it's a it's a difficult business to 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 grasp and you know from, from place you know, to it place really is and you have to it, 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 as you said the business has changed and many times as you went back to the story with with the purses depending on the handle so so many people even in this area will say you know you're you're doing so well handle wise well you know where where's the purse increase you know we're doing better than we've ever done and you know, so if you if you look at a, a card where you bet you know million dollars, uh, you, you know let's just average and say maybe three and a half percent or so is a blended rate for off track money. You know that's thirty five thousand dollars. You split that half goes to um, operating expenses and, and the uh, the permit holder, and half goes to the horseman. You, you know that's seventeen thousand five hundred dollars. That that does not stretch you very far, even when you're betting a million. You know that that's sort of the same dilemma. I think we saw during the pandemic with tracks like Bonner and other places that were handling even much more than that, three and four million. Uh, but still, it's you know when when we're under today's model, uh, it's very tough to bet your way 
into prosperity when all the dollars are off track. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, if you, if you could go back, I mean, listen, if we could go back uh, 45 years ago when New York City OTB was kind of the first off-track betting system in this country, and the people on the the racing side put these gigantic barriers to success because it, it was different, and, and, and no one had the vision at that point to say, hey, we can reach greater audiences and bigger markets by not having them have to drive out to uh, Belmont Park or having to drive to Saratoga by by doing this. And and they made New York City OTBs and and, and the rest of the you know the, the state had had their division you know different uh, sections. I mean there there was no bathrooms allowed. There was no uh, food allowed. There was no uh, you know for a long time they they made them bet with letters instead of numbers. And uh, you know there was a five percent surcharge and and you know that that kind of has been you know like put us a little bit behind the eight ball because when simulcasting came and i remember when simulcasting first came gabe it was one race like on a saturday afternoon uh if you were in new york they might take the feature race from uh you know uh atlantic city maybe the un handicap or they would take the feature race from california or whatever big race they had but it was at one race and everybody looked at it like like found money and it was it was gravy money, and they didn't properly uh, have the, the the revenue distributed. So that's what led to um, these third party ADWs coming in and siphoning off a lot of money. And uh, you know, it, it just is what it is. But um, you know, like you said, it's so difficult to to raise revenue just on off track handle that um, I, I just don't know. Uh, you know, we, and I don't even want to get into like you know offshore people and 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 uh, you know the betting syndicates and and all that stuff that's that's out there because it, it's a complicated, confusing issue as well. So um, it's it's just it's just uh, it's so more complicated than it used to be, where you could just assume that um, you know, takeout was twenty one percent, that uh, the state got seven, the track got seven, and the horseman got seven, and and it's uh, you know these days it's more like uh, you know. Uh, two, one, and one and a half. So correct. Yeah, it's a, the model. The model's completely changed. Even back in those days, no one would have had the foresight to obviously even see online wagering now. But as you said, the model, uh, you know, was broken, and, and it's and today's technology has only made it worse. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, Hoosiers opening up, uh, and any thought of of changing the passing lane there? <laughs> You know what? I'm not a passing lane guy. I actually did advocate for that. I'm not as intimately involved as, uh, with Hoosier Park as I am some of our other properties. Uh, my boss, Joe Morris, who uh, you may or may not know, great guy, was did a couple tours of duties with Stronic. I used to work for him way back at Thoroughbred Times, if you remember those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the um, publisher. I sold ads for Thoroughbred Times way back. But anyway, Joe, Joe is more intimately involved with the Indiana properties uh, with uh, both Indiana Grand and Hoosier Park. But I advocated strongly. Uh, for no passing lane. I'm not a passing lane guy. We have had many debates here at Pompano Park, and you'll see we're one of the only 5-8 tracks. In fact, we might be uh, in this era the only 5-8 yeah. track without a passing lane. I certainly can't think of another. Uh, no. You know, I've always been one of those guys, earn your position on the racetrack. You know, I don't want you rewarded for sitting, you know, second or third of the inside and not moving, and, you, and you know, you tag someone on the light uh, that did all the work in front of you. Uh, so I will continue to advocate on behalf of no passing lane Hoosier Park, but there was some resistance. Even the horsemen uh, were, were a little bit against that. You know, when, when I uh, 
take a look at the racing action at Hoosier Park. As any 7-8 track, I think they buzz out of there pretty good, and they buzz home pretty good. So you're constantly looking, in my mind, at ways to improve that action in the middle half of the race. I think that the, you know, the expiration of a passing lane uh, would do more uh, to promote early movement in the race. But uh, so far, I'm on the wrong end of that debate, but it does not mean I will be giving up any time. Yeah, even if they, 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 they shrunk it, you know, made it just the last, um, you know, shrunk it in half. I mean, I think when I watched some of the Breeders' Crown races there last year, everybody wanted to stay in the two and three. Like, the three holes suddenly became, like, the spot to be. And and that's just not normal, you know. That's that yeah. that just it's hard to, like, for me to try to handicap races, trying to assume, uh, not assume, but but try to figure out what the plan is going to be for each ride driver. And then those races, it's a little different because of the money they're going for. It's not like a typical overnight race where you know you draw outside and it's like, well, hell, if I'm going to leave, if nothing kind of opens, I'm just going to tuck and then see what happens. But um, you know, it, it, I saw like two or three races in a row where there was no outside flow and, and, and these big, you know, like end of the year championship type races because everybody wanted to be on the inside to, 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 to jump to the passing lane. And, uh, I mean, it's an yep. internal, there's an internal dispute that the, the throwback people are probably like, what the hell is a passing lane? <laughs> <laughs> We've got way off the course of the thermal. We apologize for that. But yes, when you're handicapping a harness race, maybe, maybe to catch up at a little bit of speed and even at Pompano Park, you know, we I handicap by how the race is going to line up. Position is everything in harness yeah. racing. So, you know, if you think the the four and six are going to be leaving, uh, so you think maybe that race is going to line up six, four, and then the one and two are going to drop it behind. So you sort of develop that race in your mind. You know, the race is going to lay six, four, one, two. Well, no, I know the five is probably going to be first on the boost. So you almost diagram in your head how that race is going to set up. The challenge becomes when you have a passing lane in the stretch and horses are able to dive down at an extended lane to the inside, it throws that a little bit out of whack because you could have the one who does no work at all during the course of the mile uh, and is rewarded by that lane opening up, and he's able to shoot through, you know, fresh as a daisy after doing no work. So it's just when you're handi- as a handicapper, and that's what I am first and foremost above any title that I'll ever hold, uh, I-, I just am not a fan of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, you know, it, it's uh, it, the one the one big difference between thoroughbreds and, and harness racing, obviously, outside of the, the you know, the different distances, in thoroughbreds and, and the fact that they have grass. Um, but the, the different size tracks and how how differently a half mile race versus a five eighths mile race versus a mile race. Uh, or even the seven furlongs like like Woodbine or uh, Mohawk. It, Mohawk really plays more like a mile track, at least in my mind. Um, it's it just, you know, such a, a drastic difference that uh, outside of like Belmont Park, which is a mile and a half in circumference, most thoroughbred tracks are, are about the same uh, the same size. Most tracks are, are a mile. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's 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 part of what makes it what makes it great, I guess. You know, it does, because it does add an extra, you know, we get criticized sometimes for not having enough variables racing the same distance and whatnot. But you do have horses that excel. You know, on certain size tracks, we all know half mile specialists uh, that can they can get out of there and they, they get around the turns uh, as smooth as silk. We know some horses that struggle a little more on the turns, and obviously they're much better on a bigger track. So it does add a, a different variable in there. Uh, you know, on on harness racing, and one thing we do get criticized for on the harness side as well, Chuck, uh, the percentage of winning favorites. That was another thing that made our product so solid over the course of the winter. And I believe we might have went just a tad over this now, but throughout the course of the winter, we kept the percentage of winning favorites of Pompano. Uh, below 40%, high 30s, 38, 39. 
Uh, most harness tracks, unfortunately, embarrassingly enough, run at nearly 50% these days. And I literally mean 49 and change uh, to 50%. Uh, that was a major component. So, and, and that's not easy to do when you're on such an isolated uh, area yeah. down here in terms of horse population. Uh, obviously, Dave Miller in town to mix it up with Wiley, that helped. And, and we just had those races. We've got a couple of young drivers, as you know, Chuck, that are very aggressive, yeah. mix up the action. Uh, you know, it's, it made for a very solid product. You saw those carryovers. I can't remember how many six-figure pick-five uh, guarantees we had when we would get a, a nice carryover of 20000 or so. Uh, I think giving people that sort of product, you know, helped as well because, you know, one thing we were criticized for uh, in the most recent years was we had a lot of short prices, a lot of short price favorites, you know, a lot of short fields. So our first mission when we came into Pompano this year started uh, about five months before the meet. We were out all over the place trying to recruit horsemen to South Florida. We knew that was the number one ingredient to make ourselves successful. But up and beyond, we can have betting menu, post times, night of the week, you name it. Nothing is going to help more than having the horse population. We hit the streets. We went all over, western New York, Canada, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, you name it, Maine, everywhere. We went um, to recruit people down here to try to get them to uh, race with us, because that's the number one ingredient. You know, we, we offer for the first time in the history of Pompadour Park. You're stable on track with us, no stall rent. Forget it. You're, you're helping our you know, product by being here. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you have a racehorse, and if you brought a, a yearling you were breaking, we charged a couple hundred bucks uh, a month for that. We didn't want to take that right away from anybody, because obviously they wouldn't bring their yearlings, they're going to bring their racehorses, or they wouldn't come. Right. But if you came to the track for the first time in the history of the facility, your stall rent was $0.00 which uh, from an accounting standpoint was very nice on our side as well, maybe not from a revenue standpoint, but that, that was the number one ingredient into getting this meet kicked off right and, and the right number of horses to, to, to run a successful meet. I have one, one last question, and I appreciate all the time you've given us today. Uh, and, you know, your, your willingness to, uh, to be forthcoming, it's, uh, I mean, not everyone is, so thank, I do appreciate that, but... Um, I, I, my pleasure. I, what, I enjoy discussing things with like-minded individuals. <laughs> what uh, what happened to the horse that wouldn't leave the track? Oh, well, that was that was an interesting night. That was a very pomp-like night. <laughs> you were uh, you were in the booth with me that night when that happened. Command uh, I, I, the fire. Command the this, fire. That's right. That's maybe right. Maybe the first in the history of horse racing, and any of the thoroughbred guys out there that that have not turned us off at this point <laughs> may, may remember this video. Uh, because it did get a little traction on social media, but uh, the horse won the race, and he was so keyed up, he was just up on the muscle, he, he would not stop for the picture. So that, that sometimes could happen. You know, usually little outrider systems overcome that. Uh, so he just kept you know, trotting around the track and, and, and would not stop. Outrider could not collar him. Uh, every time he got near the what you'd call the exit ramp to go back down towards the uh, paddock, uh, he would accelerate. He just wanted to stay on the track. Now, you know, Chuck, many times we'll see horses. We saw Charlestown recently at the Abbott and before. You know, when horses get near the draw gate, they know that's the way to go home. Sometimes right. they, they want to get home early, exactly. so to speak. Uh, <laughs> Command of Fire was the complete opposite. Every time he knew he was close to the off-ramp, he would accelerate. So this went on for, for five, six minutes. Uh, you and I were just chit-chatting and, and, and then eventually wondering what the delay was for. So I looked down, <laughs> and yes, this horse, Command of Fire, won the race. He would not leave the track. He went about seven, eight laps. Then we recorded there for, for a couple more laps. Finally, we had the old quarter horse shoot here at Pompadour from running quarter horses back in the 70s, 80s. Uh, and driver Aaron Byron just steered him off into the chute, hoping he would slow down once he got off the track. And uh, that, that plan didn't go as, as well as he had hoped. He got dumped off 
<laughs> Didn't he wind up running through a fence or something? Like yeah, a... <laughs> luckily he was collared very shortly thereafter. So no harm, no foul as far as that went. Um, so yeah. he was sort of become folklore uh, on the Internet and got us a lot of eyes, you know, people that wouldn't normally follow harness racing. They thought that was a cool story and just just a cool event. You know, here's a horse that said, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I'm delaying the race is 20 minutes. What are you going to do about it? You know, essentially. <laughs> so uh, we had him in to go the next week at the pomp. We put him in the last race because we said, <laughs> well, if he throws a party this time after the race, at least he's not going to delay the remainder of the program. So we had him in to go. Uh, the eyes of, of social media, for certain, were, were tuned in. Uh, I was getting tweets from people I never even knew watch our races. Can't wait to see Command the Fire. This guy's my spirit animal. I love him. Can't <laughs> wait to bet Command the Fire tonight. Unfortunately, he had a bit of an anxiety issue, which uh, was, was why that he, I think, wanted to stay on the track that night. He got a little anxious in the paddock that night. Uh, and just out of safety and an abundance of caution, we, we ended up scratching him, yeah. uh, which was you know very disappointing. So he never raced again in Pompano. However, uh, at, after, shortly thereafter, he was sold. He turned up at Northfield, raced many times. I believe he's still racing at Rose Cross. So he's still out there. Command the fire still out there trotting. But uh, as long as he uh, is out there battling, I think his, his most precious memory may be the night uh, that he wanted the pomp and he refused to leave the track. And I still have the wind photo in my booth. You see him, just the clear wind picture uh, of him winning the race. And it's always a story when people come visit me in the booth. But the winter circle, completely bare. You just see grass. No, no, no return photo. <laughs> <laughs> that was the uh, the story of Cabana Fire. That that was that was some night. I remember thinking, "Man, that horse is still out there." And Aaron did a great job, like not falling off because a couple Correct. of times, yeah, then, because he was accelerating. Yeah, he, yeah the outrider w- w- was trying to pick him up, and and he he was smart. He saw it coming, and he like just you know ducked out of the way. And I mean, he he literally went like like six miles after he went a mile at full race speed. You know, I say, I think, and I think that is part of the charm of the pomp, uh, Chuck. I think you know, when one day when we're all when we're all uh, when we're not racing here anymore, is, is you truly, and most of it just on an oddity side, you, you truly don't know what you're going to see here on any <laughs> given night, and uh, that's just another that's another chapter right there in the book. It, it really is. Well, Gabe, again, thanks for for giving us uh, as much time as you did, and uh, good luck tonight. And uh, you never know, I might. Uh... I might mosey on over. You never know when you're going to see a command fire. If you do, make sure you come up and say hello. And uh, my pleasure. Keep up all the great work. And certainly, if you don't pop in tonight, come see us before the meet's over. I will for sure. Thank you very much, Gabe. Thanks. All right. Uh, that's Gabe Pruitt of, uh, of of Pompano and Scioto and uh, Harris Philly. And <laughs> I found out now Louisiana Downs. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all one day to hear Gabe over there announcing races, uh, filling in for somebody. But um, the pomp is, uh, you know, what he's done there is really amazing. I mean, to think that they went in from from fifty thousand, a hundred thousand a night to to twenty or twenty or so million dollar nights. Uh, it's really crazy. Anyways, we will be back uh, on the other side of the commercial with Bobby Newman. Why in the past decade has BRL Equine become the premier equine supplement company in the industry? Because we spend millions in research and development before we ever put out a product. Because we use only FDA supervised facilities to manufacture for us. Because what we say is in them is in them. Because they work. Because if you're not happy, I'll give you your money back. 
And because top trainers and veterinarians in thoroughbred racing, standard bred racing, three-day eventing, and barrel racing all trust in BRL Equine. Shouldn't you? To find out more how Flexify HA, Unlock, Bleeder Shield, and EPO Equine can help you, contact me, Joseph Volante, 215-501-6880. This is the Going in Circles podcast.